Hey guys, it's Coach Kylie, your favorite dietitian, personal trainer, slash health and wellness coach, slash um, yoga therapist. We dive into the realistic health and creating practical results over time that are sustainable, healthy, and ditch all the shitty things we hear from diet culture or society about how we need to eat, how we need to exercise, or how our bodies need to look. So today, this is actually a really fun episode for me because um, I typically like to work with framework in realistic framework. I never expect anybody to exercise seven days a week because I sure as hell wouldn't do that. But we're going to be talking a little bit more about intuitive eating and movement. And I brought a girlfriend to uh, talk about that a little bit more. So bear with me. But what I think is really interesting about this topic is that there's just so many different ways that we can create practical and sustainable results, right? Some people really like that structure. And that's okay. Whether that's, you know, I need to do this workout plan and these are the recipes I like. And if that structure works well for you and you don't feel limited or restricted, then that's great. Now we also can look at it. The next step down the spectrum might be, okay, I know I'm going to move, you know, a couple days a week, which sets a little bit of framework, but maybe there's a little bit of variety in there. Like maybe a couple days you want to go to the gym. Maybe one day you're not feeling that. So at least you go on a walk, right? Something like that. That can be another version of that middle ground. And then we have, you know, on the other end of the spectrum, our intuitive eating and movement. And that's what we're really diving into today. So bear with me. We're going to dive right in. All right, you guys. So today, like I mentioned, we're talking about intuitive eating and intuitive movement and exercise. And I have one of my favorite girlies out there to talk about this with me today. Um, this is Keelan Murphy. I'm going to give her a little intro. She is super hot, super smart, a wonderful dietitian and yoga instructor who really focuses on really mindful movement and nutrition in a way that's very supportive. And I love that because it's very hard to find women that enjoy all the different lifestyles that we can live without feeling so much pressure from society. We often see so much. There's the influencers that are like, here's your two-week juice cleanse. Um, drink a water with lemon every day. And it's not very authentic. So I'm really excited to talk more about how we can be very mindful. And I'm going to let you know, Keelan, talk a little bit more about herself and what she does, and we'll get into the good stuff. What an intro. Thank you. And, you know, we've been looking forward to this podcast for a while, and our schedules are so <laughs> very happy to make it work and grateful you like me and think I'm pretty. <laughs> <laughs> pretty uh, on inside and out. True. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, you know, am into, I got my master's in dietetics. Um, and my bachelor's, I ended up getting a, a job actually with an eating disorder company. So that really sparked my, you know, intuitive eating world and the non-diet approach. Ironically, right now, I'm also getting my um, obesity certification, which is kind of counterintuitive when you think about it in the field that I'm in. Like, I feel yeah. like a lot of dietitians, if they listen to this, they're like, what is she doing? But I'm doing this to kind of bridge the world, to bridge the gaps and to kind of allow that body autonomy of, you know, people do want to lose weight. And there is definitely a big relational food aspect to weight gain and being in a larger body. And I want to just provide that autonomy to people of like, yeah, you're in a larger body and you have the right to choose to lose weight, but also here are these other, you know, concepts that also led me to you know, as an athlete, 
transitioning out of the athletic world, you Mm -hmm. know, that identity crisis of like, who am I without this sport? What's my coping skill? How do I manage these intense emotions um, without, you know, the three hour long practices or the double days, right? Yeah, because so often you feel like you're almost handed a plan, whether it's workout or nutrition, and you feel lost without that backbone or structure. Yeah. Well, and then your body changes, right? So then your identity of like, well, I don't look like the the athlete, right? I don't look like this person that I've identified with for so long. And so one of my niches is helping both athletes and retired athletes kind of transition out of the sport. Yeah. Um, and we're finding so much more research now and how prevalent eating disorders actually are in athletics. Oh yeah. I was just having a conversation. I'm a big walk girl. I like to have like walk and talk. And I was out with my partner last night and I'm like, you know what? There are three sports I'd never let my daughter play. Not because I don't want her to be uh, involved in passions that she wants, but I work with, again, similarly to you, so many women who are come out of sports or, you know, the type of lifestyles or endearments they are, they're in, in the experience too. And I'm like, maybe that's a different episode and I'll talk about that then. But I agree oh. with you that it's, <laughs> that it's hard. It definitely deserves its own topic, its own. <laughs> we'll get back on and reschedule something. Else. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, but really I, I like your approach of bridging the two worlds because I don't accept and I know you don't accept the fat shaming world of like Um, what um, is it called like the pretty principle that people focus on and so much uh, so many of the times that women don't get heard or listened to because they're overweight and their symptoms are due to obesity rather than the authentic reason of the a, a genuine diagnosis and then looking at the other side of the spectrum you know we have that intuitive eating and I think there's so many great principles or nuggets to take away from that but the overall theme can also be flawed because you don't want to just um you know necessarily reject diet mentality and be like fuck it like I'm gonna eat whatever I want Mm -hmm. um because I'm listening to myself and today and every other day I want a burger and fries for every meal Right. So it's finding that balance between the two, because like you said, especially as women, especially in society today, with the types of body standards there are or the societal pressures, sometimes we want to look a certain way and that's okay. Or it has nothing to do with that at all. And you genuinely internally want to see some physical changes because you feel uncomfortable in your current body space. That's 100% fine too. That doesn't make you a bad person for wanting those things. And it's really trying to find that middle space, which is why I'm glad you're here, you know, as a dietitian, as a yoga uh, teacher, who's also a previous athlete, you know, we can really dive into a more intuitive space for both eating and exercise that one, help us tackle goals, but two, can talk about it from more of a recovery standpoint of building a healthy relationship with exercise and food. Absolutely. And I think that one of the biggest things that I've learned in the eating disorder space and, you know, applying a lot of, I do a lot of intuitive eating practices with my, my, with my clients, you know, I give them workbooks and assignments that help kind of develop that intuitive sense, right? Because it's not, it's not natural. It's well, it is actually when we're kids, right? We're the most intuitive eaters. And then, yeah, diet culture and this obsession with thinness starts to mm-hmm. get into our brain, get into our, even our physiology, right? Like yeah, 
going to start restricting, but then that makes our ghrelin response go up and then I'm hungrier and then I binge. And so it's very physiological as well, but there, there's definitely a spectrum when you are diving into that, you know, I'm, I want to start repairing my relationship with food, yeah. right? We can't just go from being a chronic dieter to boom, I'm going to be an intuitive eater, right? <laughs> yeah. And there's a spectrum, right? There's definitely a, a spectrum. And the very, what I do like about it is there are, you know, the 10 principles. So if you don't know what the 10 principles are, you know, the first one is rejecting the diet mentality. The second one, honoring your hunger, you know, like the best way to tackle through it would even be like, this is a shameless plug for our girl. What's her name? Evelyn Tremble. Mm-hmm. Um, her book is great, but like I said, I think there's personally flaws in it as a health professional. It's not, yeah. it's a little idealistic. It assumes that you can afford any foods that you want to be purchasing, etc. But like you're saying, biggest thing, core principle is screw diet culture. Like yeah. that is, you know, something we want to eliminate, especially the concepts of good or quote unquote bad foods, learning yeah. hunger and fullness. So like uh, Keelan was mentioning, you know, when she's talking about ghrelin and leptin, and if you didn't study nutrition, you're like, what the hell are these little monsters that you're talking about? Um, they're actually hormones that tell us when we're hungry or when we're full. And when we focus on more of an intuitive eating structure, we have to really replenish those hormones and teach them how to work properly in our body. Because yeah, when yeah. we're chronically dieting, they go away and our hunger cues are gone and we don't really understand what hunger is, let alone when fullness is. Yes, yes. And that poor relationship, it's it involves not only like our body and our fat stores that are mm-hmm. communicating to our brain, but our brain communicating to our body to secrete those hormones as well. So that's where I do like the relational aspect of food, right? Mm-hmm. Loving food on a continuum, you know, there is ways to, you know, lose weight within a healthy range. So people think, oh, weight loss, I want to lose all this weight. It's like five to 10% of your body weight that leads to those, you know, better health outcomes, right? It's not really a super significant amount of weight. That's like, oh, oh, I'm all of a sudden, you know, you're start, you're going to notice, you know, decreased blood pressure, you know, decreased lipids and elevated, you know, HDL cholesterol, right? Those health biometrics that we look at. Yeah. Um, So, you know, I, I do think there is that blend we can approach and apply intuitive principles Mm -hmm. while also, you know, honoring our health. And there is a chapter, the very last principle is that gentle nutrition. So I think at the end, it does encompass the entire thing, but, but not perfectly either. (laughs) Not perfectly. We just get, you know, and and it's a stepwise process. So what I do like is, you know, you know, honoring the satiety factor, right? What is fullness? What's, what's satisfaction versus fullness? How do we distinguish the difference between the two? You know, I might feel um, full, but not satisfied. Likewise, I'm satisfied, but I'm not overly full. Yeah. And I think that, you know, in our world today too, we get so caught up where we're either eating really quickly to get somewhere or we're eating in the car or you're watching a show while eating. And when we do those things, it may tackle two birds in one stone, especially when we're busy individuals, especially working as a, you know, we both work with busy women, but does that really help your body understand like when food is being digested, how are your blood sugars being affected? Are you genuinely feeling full or not? 
-hmm. and that part of you is shut off because you're watching the new season of Selling Sunset. Right. Yeah. And that brings in, yeah, that mindful element of it that we both love as yoga practitioners of like, Mm -hmm. feel your feelings. But then intuitively, we have to understand too, while mindful eating is great, it's not always applicable at every meal. Right. right? And increase the frequency in which we do it. But sometimes, you know, sometimes we got to go somewhere. Sometimes we're a busy mom and we just shoved pancakes in our mouth and dropped the kids off at school and had to go to work. Right. And that's okay. We want to avoid the shame of those experiences because there's nothing to be ashamed about. I'd almost rather you shove pancakes down your throat and get your kid to the bus stop for school than you not eat anything at all and then be chronically under eating, which actually hurts your metabolism and your hunger cues even more. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. You hit the nail on the head there. But I think that kind of almost bridges to another topic that I know they talk about in the intuitive eating principles that I feel like is a really good takeaway too, which is the concept of emotional eating. Because when we are stressed, when we're emotional, when we're bored eating, when we're shutting off our brain or our brain's overworking, sometimes it's quick and easy to have emotion that we're doing, like a fidget almost, or, you know, consume food or it heightens our hormone levels, which then has requires certain cravings or hunger status that aren't actually true to what our body needs. And so what would you say are some of the things that you notice uh, with the types of patients that you work with and clients and how would you encourage, you know, certain stress management techniques or self-awareness to help reduce emotional eating? Yeah. And that's actually a principle too. you know, cope with your feelings without using food. Um, But I always like, you know, bring the lack of shame there too. Like if my boyfriend breaks up with me of three years and I thought he was the love of my life, I'm, I'm going to cope with ice cream. Like not all the time. I'm going to have other coping skills, Yeah, but it's about adding more to your bucket of coping skills. Love right. That. So, you know, whether it's a fidget stick, whether it's going for a walk, whether it's, um, you know, journaling or reading a book or just doing some self-care, like how can we, how can we just fill the, fill the basket of coping skills more and acknowledge that sometimes food can be a coping skill. Food is naturally a biologically soothing thing. It allows us to feel safe because we know we're fed. We know we have the energy we need to fight off the bear or to climb the mountain, right? It's giving us that sense of safety. So it's not to just completely get rid of food as a coping skill, right? right? Our, our culture is food-based, right? Our community is food-based. We have holidays centered around food and that brings that sense of fun, safety, community, right? Um, so it's not to just negate food as a, an emotional comfort altogether, but mm-hmm. to just add more coping skills. And then of course, therapy, right? Like go to therapy. Yes, girl. <laughs> Say it louder for the people in the back. I'm a big therapy believer. I think everybody yeah. should go to therapy, even if you don't think you have problems, uh, because you might have actually have some problems. You might be not, uh, you know, burying them under, under the rug, but even if you don't, they help provide tools and resources to have really healthy coping mechanisms, even for the small things in life that you don't necessarily feel need to be regulated. But then you mm-hmm. actually do that. And then you're like, wow, I feel so much better. Yeah. Um, I love yeah. the example you gave about coping mechanisms and having more in your basket. I'm mm-hmm. a big metaphor girly. So I'm thinking, you know, let's say like you have that newborn and all they want is that blanket. 
the one coping mechanism they have is their baby blanket. Well, then you're screwed if it's dirty, if it's lost, if it's missing, and all you have is a screaming baby. Like, I don't have children yet, but I know I'd want to run into oncoming traffic if I had a screaming kid 24-7 because they had no other coping tools, right? And so what we want to do is add those coping tools early on. Like maybe there's a rattle and some toys or a book or a song they like. And then you have this new wide variety of things that'll help calm them down. That puts a lot of pressure off of you. So it's kind of the same almost as an individual. We want to have multiple things that we can utilize because then it takes the pressure off. If you're only coping through going through a bag of snacks per night, you know, just mindlessly or intentionally because you're stressed, then that's not helpful. But if you do that here and there, sprinkled in with a couple of different techniques, like maybe a yoga class or some breathing exercises or talking to a friend or a trusted therapist, then those help kind of off balance it in a way that really creates a little bit more balance too. Yeah. And I think part of the work is also recognizing, am I, am I emotional right now or am I hungry? Right. And I think, you know, going back to the baby, the analogy I use a lot with my baby analogy is um, you have babies that cry a lot and you have babies that don't cry. Yeah. But you still have to feed both babies. <laughs> one is good at communicating. One is really good at communicating when it's hungry or upset. And the other one might have been so, you know, in adulthood, so detached from their body signals that they can't tell when they're hungry. And yeah. that might be from chronic dieting, constantly suppressing you know, those hunger feelings out of the, you know, to get that thin ideal. And so then we lose those hunger signals. Um, and so it's like, are you eating the chips because you had a bad day? Are you eating the chips because you restricted all day? And so to begin that intuitive eating process, it's, there is, you know, we can't just, again, we can't just start it. We have to give, you know, the body scheduled meal times, mm-hmm. right? Fuel throughout the day. So that, that, you know, dineural or the circadian rhythm of things starts to make sense, right? So we get those spikes and those hunger hormones at the appropriate times throughout the day. They're predictable. And then eventually, oh, wait, I'm actually starting to notice I am hungry at breakfast. Yeah. But I turned off my hormone. I turned off the signal, right? Not the hormone, but my hypothalamus is like, nope. gotta be thin or we're so stressed. And I always always think about like paleolithic days, like prehistoric humans, because I think I find it fascinating, but you know, when we are being chased by a bear, you know, our blood supply is where it's in our peripheral limbs. Yep. So we're not getting the signals sent up our vagus nerve because the blood is not in our, you know, our GI tract. We're not getting other hormone signals that are going on in the GI tract either. We're worried about getting the frick out of Dodge and not dying. And so that comes into play too. This is why therapy is good because we need to get out of that fight or flight. 100%. And just to shamelessly plug really fast, if you want to learn about the vagal nerve, I did a podcast episode with Dr. Sarah Swink (laughs) last season. Beautiful. But sorry, I'll plug it too. <laughs> so yeah, there's definitely a lot that goes into, you know, before we can just say, oh, I'm an intuitive eater. Yeah. Um, unless you have like, you know, no diet influence as you're growing up, there, there are some things that interfere with that ability to feel our hunger, feel our satiety, understand our emotions. 
and then apply that gentle nutrition approach. And I think as to segue off into, you know, the intuitive movement side of things, yeah. Um, the same can be said when it comes to athletes transitioning out of their sport, when their basis and their normalcy for exercise is this high intensity, high load volume, um, pain, right? That's, yeah. you know, I used to walk onto the volleyball court with my toenail digging into my other toe and being like, that's normal. Like I wouldn't even flinch. Yeah. I was just talking about this on my Instagram story. Literally before this podcast, I was like, I've been working all day. I have to run, get on a little walk. And Mm -hmm. I was making a story about literally the same topic. It's like, we think so much that food and exercise have to be punishment related or restrictive due to a different action. Like, oh, I ate too much. So I have to do this or I didn't exercise. So I have to under eat. And it's not that type of relationship we want. We want to figure out a way to intuitively eat and intuitively move in a way that's actually really beneficial to us. It's going to make us more excited to move. It's going to make us more excited to eat and enjoy food. And so just before we tap off into that next topic of movement, I'm curious, what would you say if somebody's ready to start looking at things more intuitively, what are some steps you would take initially to kind of kick off that practice? Um, we'll explore, you know, what their consistency of intake is like right now, what their patterns of eating are. Do they restrict and then binge exploring any beliefs that they have about food, about their body that could impact or, you know, could come up later along their journey. Um, and, and, and truly the first thing is to reject the diet mentality. Like I'm not going to refute that because it's hard to do intuitive eating when secretly in the back of your mind, you're like, okay, but maybe, maybe, (laughs) right. Because that's going to mess with our relationship with food, our psychology and the physiology of the hypothalamus sending those hormones out. It's going to mess with that. And it's going to make us more fearful of food. And then that fight or flight stress response comes up and then we can't feel our hunger and satiety. So it really is initially at least don't think about, you know, am I going to lose weight or not? We really have to get rid of that, that to begin and truly dive into it. And I think that's where people kind of go wrong with it. They secretly want and need. Um, and it, again, it's okay to want and need that, but can you put it on pause for now? Yeah. 100%. So we get to, you know, the end of the intuitive eating until we reestablish those, those hunger forms, normal patterns. Yeah. And I think it's important to note here too, as like a caveat, I think intuitive eating is very important, but it's also on the spectrum of different ways to eat. So if this does not feel like your version or what resonates with you, that's okay. Mm -hmm. But also recognize, is that you in denial mode or is that based off of your learning style and your current relationship with food? Food for thought. (laughs) Oh yeah. We just said food for thought. Let's, you know, sip a little bit of tea. (laughs) (laughs) And let's move on to movement. So I know, you know, both of us have an extremely diverse background in activity and movement. You from a, um, you know, a collegiate, um, athletic, high intensity aspect of things. And then the total opposite of it, being a yoga instructor, slowing things down, being intuitive um, with my background of, you know, personal training, group fitness, being a yoga Mm -hmm. therapist. We collide in so many areas that I think it can be so easy to 
for, you know, I think I get messages all the time, like, can I just have a workout plan? Can you mm-hmm. just tell me what to do? And I say, no, <laughs> like, I'm, I'm like, I'm not going to do that for you. Not because I don't want you to have structure, not because I don't want you to achieve your goals, but how am I going to benefit you? How are you going to learn if I just handed you a meal plan or an exercise plan? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so what do you, what do you think about, because I do get clients that don't have, you know, the collegiate background. So it's kind of weird. Like we're building the intuitive movement with athletes here, but they kind of know things already. They know the proper positioning on a squat rack, right? They know, they know their limits, right? They know what's pain sometimes. What's pain. (laughs) I was going to say, I don't know. like just discomfort. Right. And I think yeah. when we get people that are just starting out and just ultimately want to have a healthier lifestyle, you know, it might not be a, like a workout plan, but like, you know, those set goals of like, okay, can you walk after dinner for 20 yeah. minutes every day? And that's, that's where we're starting off at just to get into the, the pattern, right? Like the meal plan with the intuitive eating, right? You have set times, and meal structures to get your body in the flow of things. Yeah. Likewise, to begin that intuitive movement, you know, maybe not like a workout plan, like you're doing legs three days a week, split arms in between, right? right. Yeah. Not like that, but, you know, little goals that help normalize movement into your life because yeah. you're not going to be an intuitive mover if you're in your move, your exercise avoidant. And so I think I I think of two examples. So I have client A and client B. I'm thinking of client A used to be a collegiate D1 athlete. She um, also played volleyball. She overworked herself and extremely was under eating when we saw each each other at the start. And she could not lose weight to save her life. Now, don't get me wrong. There's a nutritional component of this as well. But this is for the exercise aspect. She's used to, here's the plan my team gave me. You have to push yourself until you're dead and you have to crawl out of the gym. Mm. She didn't know what she could do to balance exercise in a way that's not going to overwork her body and put her stress on high, that fight or flight, that cortisol, um, all of those things that we've talked about previously. But two, she didn't know how to accept rest days and how to take care of herself. So Mm. in client A's aspect, we talked about exercise. We set up an exercise plan based off of what she wanted, but it wasn't something that was forced. It's not something that I handed. We talked, okay, like what have previous injuries looked like? Of course she has knee problems. She was a volleyball player. Um, Okay. Now with that being said, what do you feel comfortable in the gym doing? What feels uncomfortable? And we really balance this because she's used to two, three hour practices. Okay. We shortened it down to 60 minute workouts, Mm. um, a few days a week. And we honored rest on the other days and that significantly changed her life. We've continued to see a downward trend in her overall weight and her overall fat, her adipose tissue with an increase in muscle, which means, okay, something's working. And at first, you know, she didn't believe me. She's like, you want me to eat how much? And you want me to rest three days a week, like girl, you're nuts. Whereas, you know, maybe in client B's perspective, she has no idea about nutrition or exercise. It was never something she grew up learning about. It was never something she was interested in. She was not in sports or any physical activities growing up. And she's like, I just genuinely don't know where to start. Mm. And she's like, I'm kind of doing some YouTube videos and this is like, what's going on. 
And so we continued that route at first because there was extreme gym anxiety and practicality wise with her extreme schedule, it didn't seem very practical to set up any sort of specific intentional classes. So we're like, okay, you know, like if you're getting in movement, you like what you're doing. In addition to the nutrition things we were doing, of course, let's keep this up. And then, you know, after a month or two, she's like, you know what? I am so stressed out that I can barely even focus on food, let alone the exercise. And so we said, okay, like let's pause on, on the exercise. It's okay for that pause. Let's focus on the food and make that our main goal. Like let's grocery shop. Let's make sure you're eating and not skipping meals. And that was our focus for about a month or two more until she got back in the swing of things. And we're not fully to an extent where we're like, yes, like let's hit the gym or let's do very specific intentional activities. But we've now found that, you know, two longer walks a week with her dog have been helpful for her in addition to her um, nutritional goals. And so that shows there's such a wide and vast difference between individuals that you can't really base your schedule off of some influencer who suggested this workout split or this is you can't you can't base it off of the shame, right? One hundred percent. Like, oh, I'm not doing this, so yeah. but I need to to get this person's results. Absolutely, yeah. And and I I find it interesting when it comes to um the the athlete perspective, and some athletes get out of their sport, mm-hmm. and then their exercise avoided altogether. I was actually one of those for yeah. a while because I was like. I never want to do anything ever again. (laughs) And then they slowly become the person almost selectively, right? Electively. They're like, I I don't want to do it. So what are those steps to, to slowly introduce it? And so Um, Keelan, I'm curious, was that when you got into yoga and starting a different practice or like, what did that journey look like for you? Yeah, actually it was right around the same time. It was actually the last semester so it was after volleyball season but it was after my final year and I okay. took a yoga class that was offered at the school and Love then it. I was like I want to do this actually <laughs> this is fun um but then I would always fluctuate from ex- extreme right then I would be right. like oh well then the the you know athletic or the ego like, yeah I need to be doing more I don't look the same this is I'm a terrible person because I don't have the skills I used to have or not lifting as much, whatever it was. Um, But I think there's also something to be said when it comes to intuitive movement. It's not just yoga. It's not just going on walks. It's not necessarily only gentle movement. And I think that's one of the main points I wanted to, to stress coming on here is it can be intuitive to have days where you push yourself past your comfort level, mentally, at least, obviously if you're in pain, no, but if your muscles are just fatiguing and you know, your breath is kind of raggedy, you know, mentally, that's a mental barrier that you could also break and, and depending on who you are, but that could be intuitive too. It's like, well, I need something to remind me that I'm capable and I can, you know, do these mental challenges and, you know, not be avoidant of that either. And 100%. once a week or once a month, you have a really hard workout that you don't think you're capable of to remind yourself that you can. Yeah. I love that because it's, it's not an all or nothing method. You know, you don't have to be all in, in one type of exercise either. 
like I'm sure with you, you're like, I don't want to go to a practice or I don't want to weight train again after, mm-hmm. after college, right? After those seasons. And it's like, we can find and focus on, on physical activity that makes us feel good that we enjoy. And so maybe you do like weight training. That's totally okay. But you also like going to cycle class. And so find the balance between the two. Or maybe, you know, it's like most days I'm really tired from my routine or my kids or my job. So I just want to do something simple, like go on a walk, but maybe once or twice a week, I do want to push myself to do something harder, whether that's a group fitness class, whether, I mean, I would never suggest CrossFit uh, for a lot of reasons, (laughs) talk about that another time, but you know, something challenging like a hit or CrossFit or weight training where you push yourself further, because I do think it's not just the mental barrier, but it's the physical barrier. We so often, yeah, sorry. No, so sorry. No, no, it's okay. We so often get um, into these ruts where we tell ourselves we can only carry 15 pounds or I can only do this or that. And Mm -hmm. you just need to push ourselves outside of that barrier. And there's that quote, like I can do hard things like sure as shit you can, but you got to try it before you can figure out if you actually can or not. Yeah. And I think the criticism that maybe CrossFit people would put on intuitive movement is that it's not disciplined enough and you need discipline to, you know, strengthen everything in your life. Right. Yeah. And I think the misconception is that intuitive movement doesn't include discipline because right. you can be disciplined and let's say just showing up, be yeah. disciplined and showing up, listen to your body. And I think I have a little thing about that, you know, like I just show up to the gym. I show up on my walk. I show up, you know, to cycle class. And then when I'm there, then my body's telling me, you know what? I'm just achy today. Or, you know, I just feel like I just want to move. And sometimes I'll go to the gym with the intent to like work out and get a good lift in. And then I get there and I'm like, you know what? Just some functional movement sounds good. Yeah. Right? And, and I love that. Sometimes you go just to move, you know, I'm just going to go on my walk but then I feel a brisk of energy. Let me just trot a little bit. Let me just do some skips, right? Yeah. To your body that way is also, I think, important. But it, again, it doesn't negate discipline. You can still be disciplined with your schedule by showing yeah. up for yourself and then discerning what your body is feeling at that time too. 100%. I think that's really associated with setting goals, right? You can be intuitive while still setting goals, Those Mm -hmm. goals can be flexible and functional based off of your overall plan, right? So maybe it's just instead of I'm going to the gym 90 minutes a day, every day of the week, which is super the extreme would not recommend to anybody. Maybe it's I will move my body four times a week. And what those movements are up to you based off of what you feel. Maybe your exercise routine changes if you like to cycle sync, like maybe some day weeks you have more energy and you want to push yourself further and others you're like I gotta crawl out from under my heating pad to go on a walk and that's okay and just trying to find genuine adjustments where we can accept our body through all phases which I know can be hard and challenging too but overall understanding that exercise is not a punishment exercise does not have to be extremely critical um, and challenging. It can be something that's enjoyable and provides more energy or makes you feel good, etc. Amen, sister. You said it. You Thanks said so. it. <laughs> Thanks. I love it. I feel like we both were just kind of like jumping over each other because we're so excited about this topic and we're just yeah. like, yeah. And then this, 
<laughs> I know. I feel like this could be like the three hour type of podcast where you can just go on and on and on. And I know none of you want to listen to that. When I said that you groaned into your earphones. So don't worry, we won't be going on for three hours. But I'm curious, you know, as we wrap up, Keelan, like, what would you say some of the action steps could be for somebody who's initially starting an intuitive movement in their life? Um, maybe just from scratch, like not necessarily an athlete or somebody who's used to exercise, but somebody who's just starting from the ground up. I mean, I think I'm with you on the walks, you know, the walks, it's it's nice out now in in Arizona, at least I hope it's not snowing anywhere else. It's a little chilly. Sorry, but you know, we can still walk. It's okay. (laughs) You can still walk, um, you know, stretching, right. Just like some gentle flowy stuff. People think stretching is just static, right? No, you're, you can be a little functional with it and engage the muscles while you're stretching and you should be engaging the muscles while you're stretching. Um, that brings all the blood flow in there. It still utilizes, utilizes glucose in the bloodstream, right. And helps with, you know, those cardiovascular and insulin resistance type individuals. Yeah. Um, if you're not lengthening, if you're not lengthening, you're not strengthening, like, Sorry, that's a little little Dr. Susie, but it's true. (laughs) And I I loved what you just said there too. So then if we're kind of setting like a basic structure for it, if you're setting some goals where you want a little bit of discipline, would you say there's like a certain minimum you might recommend in regards to that? Um, well, you know, I like I like the the general guidelines of the 150 minutes a week to start off, but understandably like you know, that's ableist of me. Um, so depending on where you're at, you know, can you do, you know, 10 minutes, can you do 10 minutes of some stretching, you know, three days a week before you do anything can, and then ramping it up from there, wherever you're at finding something that's just slightly above your comfort zone, something that slightly would be challenging, but not undoable. And again, just individualistic at this point too. Um, but just setting those small little goals of like, okay, if I already go to the gym, you know, three days a week and I'm not losing weight, for instance, like, can I go a fourth day or could I add in a walk three days a week? Yeah. Right. If, if I'm already like pushing my body in the gym, can I do something like yoga or walking or cycle? Like you mentioned, right. Something a little bit lower impact. I love that. I think, you know, really checking in with where you're at, what's working for you and what's not working for you. I think, you know, the caveat is if you're already working out five plus days a week or you're already restricting X, Y, Z amount and you're not seeing results, you're probably actually doing yourself more harm than good. So don't keep progressing those goals further. And that might be a really good time to talk to a health professional about that. Um, But I love what you said overall. I think that we need to connect with our bodies a little bit further and understand that there's more ways to move than just one. Mm -hmm. There's not necessarily a right or wrong. I'm curious though, you know, with both nutrition and exercise components, especially in the intuitive world, there's a lot of body acceptance that I think people in general just struggle with, let alone people who are trying to transition into intuitive eating. Um, a lot of times there's so much self-worth that's connected to body size or how you look in a photo or how you, uh, you know, fit into your clothes. Like, what would you say are some of the types of reflections or things to reframe about if you're getting caught up in your self-worth being really related to your physicality? 
Yeah. I mean, I just have so much empathy for people that, you know, only go to the gym or only engage in movement with a result or an outcome in mind yeah. and being so attached to that outcome, um, really makes practicing intuitive movement nearly impossible because you're, you're not doing it to listen to your body. You're doing it for an outcome. And that's what makes it hard to sustain, right? Cause then right. You're, you're doing these things and you're not seeing the results that you want to see. And yeah. then all of a sudden it's like, well, why am I doing it? Yeah. Why, why, why am I doing, it? I'm putting myself, you know, through pain. I'm taking time out of my day to go do this movement. Cause they said, it'll help me lose weight. They said, it'll help me look away a certain way. And I don't see any results. So why am I doing it? And I think the most important thing I can, I can tell you, especially when it comes to body dysmorphia in general, mm-hmm. there isn't an end point. There isn't a point where you're like, I'm so hundred percent satisfied with how I look. You yeah. could lose, you know, all the way and, you know, be a, a supermodel skinny, but you're still not going to be like, Oh, I, I I've made it, you know, this is my end point. I did the thing. And I'm satisfied now. Right. And that's not the goal. The goal is to move because it's good for your health, because it feels good. Um, it pushes our, our capacity, um, makes us believe in ourselves a little bit more, gets us outside, right? There's so many other benefits to it besides just losing weight. And I think if that's the, it, it can't, at least it can't just be the only goal Yeah, right? I that, that exists. It can exist. And you can have other health goals as well. Yeah. Um, but when that's like the strongest motivation, I see it all the time. It's just like, well, I just stopped going, right? Or I stopped doing the things because I wasn't seeing results. And, and it's that external motivation, right? And not that internal motivation that really keeps that, that pattern and that habit alive. Yeah. Like, can we consider that? you take naps every day or you're so tired every day and exercise can be a really great place to build more endurance and energy. Can exercise be a place where you don't experience the same health struggles? Maybe your family, like your parents, your grandparents, et cetera, had struggled with like diabetes or heart disease or cancers or chronic conditions, autoimmune conditions. We can really reduce our symptoms and experiences if you're already diagnosed with something as well. There's so many ways to exercise. It's for mental health. It's for stress Mm -hmm. management. It can help slow down your rate of breath and your heart rate. It can help balance hormones. There's so many different ways to look at exercise outside of a weight-centric view. Mm -hmm. Guys, you got to look at it from a multi-faceted process. Like for myself, like I preach, I practice a lot that I have autoimmune and chronic conditions. It's something Mm -hmm. I grew up with. I had, you know, to learn that lifestyle. So for myself, it's not necessarily always because of a physicality aspect. Like, yeah, I was chronically underweight after many surgeries. Then I went to a place where I was extremely inflamed. I felt super puffy and bloated. So of course there were different moments where I wanted certain things for my body, but then there's also the aspects of okay, well, for myself, this helps keep my symptoms in line. I don't have as many flares because my circulation is better. My -hmm. digestive tract is moving more regularly. I'm able to have better bowel movements. I'm able to have more energy. I'm not exhausted all the time. And that strength is something that really empowers me to continue moving 
And honestly, I wasn't planning to go to the gym today, but maybe I'll do an at-home workout now because this feels mm-hmm. a little inspiring, right? Mm-hmm. So we don't want to just be inspired by body. We want to be inspired by the other parts of our life we want to improve as well. Yeah. And I think you touched on one of the points that I think it's chapter 10 of, or no, chapter nine of exercise, feel the difference. Yeah. And I really want to emphasize you want to feel the difference and not see the difference. I love that. That's a great, yes. great point. Because then, and then I get asked to, um, you know, how do you, how do you keep going? And I think grace, right. And like not shame, right. I'm feeling good. You know, if you miss a workout, how do you readjust? How do you pivot? Do you just, Oh, well, I messed up. Let me just scratch it all. I've already messed up, you know, same Mm -hmm. way of dieting. I already, I already ate the chips. I might as well just like binge the rest of the week. Yeah, exactly. So it's that grace element. And you know, when those shame thoughts come up and that negative self-talk comes up, you know, how do we reframe those? And that's when working with, you know, a therapist or dietitian will be really beneficial for someone to see, to help reframe those negative thoughts and, you know, focus more on feeling the difference versus seeing the difference. If you really struggle with an all or nothing mindset, I have an episode about that, but there's also so many different things we can learn, whether it's from self-help books or workbooks to really readjust that mindset. Because if you keep that up, the only thing you're going to do is burn out and never necessarily achieve your goals, whether it's weight related, health related, or anything in between, because you're constantly putting too much pressure on yourself. And that's, you know, like Keelan said, have that accountability have that coach, that health professional, that therapist, have that team of people around you that's going to support you. Because one of the biggest things that I actually like to work through when people are, you know, we're right around the holidays right now. So people are like, oh, you know, it's the holidays. Like, I don't know if I want to start. I want to find the right time. I don't think there necessarily is a right time. And Mm -hmm. I say, and I mean it, I'd rather you have that vacation or the holidays or something come up that disrupts your schedule. Because I would much rather us learn how to navigate that together Mm -hmm. And you learn mechanisms to cope with days that don't necessarily feel normal, as well as learn how to rebuild consistency after a disruption, then you go off the deep end on your own because you thought you could manage it and you didn't. Right. Well, when like the, when it comes to just sustainability, if people want to start, you know, incorporating movement into their life, like if you want it to be sustainable, you might as well, you know, you know, bite the bullet and like do it during a hard time. Let's see if you can do it to give you that sense of accomplishment of like, wow, I can do it during the holidays. I can do it during a busy season when it comes to movement. It's already kind of, if it's not something you normally do, it's kind of painful stretch to go and do it. It's already kind of on the negative side of an experience. Yeah. So it's not going to be a behavior you replicate if you're also adding in shame, if you're also judging your body or comparing your progress to someone else's progress. Mm -hmm. Why don't we work on making it more of a positive experience? Because that behavior will be reinforced and that's most likely going to be something that's sustainable and continues to happen. Yeah, I love that. And I talk, I think I talk about this in the all or nothing mindset podcast as well as probably a handful of others. I'm a big believer in self-efficacy guys and self-efficacy is the thoughts that you can actually achieve something that might feel challenging for you. And so let's say, you know, intuitively and desirability wise, you want to go to the gym five days a week. That's awesome. Great. 
But are you going to start at five days a week from going from zero to five? Absolutely not, because it's not practical. We have to take small steps to build that self-efficacy over time. So for example, you may start off with one day in the gym. Then maybe you do that consistently for a couple weeks and you're like, you know what? Now I could do three and you continue to build and you have to celebrate those small wins in in between. You have to celebrate that you can actually do hard things, even if they are not to the full extent of your goals, because if you don't celebrate the small wins that happen along the journey and you're only waiting for that final end result, it's going to be really hard to sustain and maintain consistency over time. I think there's people listening to this going, no, 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 I can totally start at five days a week, like challenging your ego a little bit here. And, you know, if it hasn't worked in the past, try something different. Right. And I've been guilty of that too, of like, I used to do this all the time. Like I can go five days a week. And then again, I would burn out and then the shame would come up. And then I'd be like, why, you know, I should be able, I'm shitting myself, right? I should be able to do this and I can't. And then I fall back to that nothing. So, you know, challenge your ego here. Listen to what we're saying. Like truly like try it, right? Right, right. Mix it up, try it, slow increments, make it a habit, right? It takes 21 days to build a habit is what they say. I don't believe that fully, but (laughs) there's there's some truth to it for sure. Um, But you know, what can you do consistently for 21 days without burning out, without getting a cramp, without injuring yourself, without being um, deficient in energy while getting enough sleep, while maintaining your relationships, while having a busy life and a workload, you know, what works for you and challenge that ego that's telling you I can do it all. I'm not saying it's not true. I'm not saying you can't, but just challenge it. Just challenge it and be like, what can I slowly do here? Our health is not an Amazon order. It's not going to (laughs) happen overnight. I love that. (laughs) And we have to consider that when we have these long-term goals, the reason that they become sustainable, the reason you don't burn out, the reason that you don't flood back to your old habits and comfortability is because you take the time to do it right and then you do it in a sustainable way. Mm -hmm. And overall, that means it takes time. So I agree, you know, the 21 day habit is a good start if that helps like, you know, okay, here's a timeframe, but it does take longer than that too, sometimes. And we have to recognize that dependent on our goals or our health or predispositions, one person could share a similar goal and it could take them only a handful of months and someone, it might take a year. It depends on the obstacles that you experience. It depends on the types of habits you're forming, the types of things that come up, whether Mm -hmm. there's trauma or emotion or stress or overwhelm, you know, all these things play a role in our health. But if we recognize that it's more of a marathon than a sprint, I think it takes a lot of pressure off of you. And I think, you know, it might be a good idea to take a breather and recognize that it's okay for it to take time. So don't try to, you know, run to, you know, you're like, it's May, And I'm on vacation in August. So I have three months to look great Mm. in a swimsuit. Like, why don't you start earlier and not make it just about the Mm. swimsuit? Yeah. And make it about the journey itself. And by the time it's August, you're actually going to be in a great place, but it's not going to be solely based around a a specific vacation outcome you wanted. Right, right. And I think the fitness community is actually getting more, um, aware of the importance of rest. I agree, and I'm yeah. seeing that a lot more from, you know, Instagram fitness influencers and just fitness professionals in general, 
yeah. you know, and actually pr program protocols that are developing rest as like a mandated thing because they're actually realizing, you know, physiologically, the body a doesn't spend so much time in that fight or flight stressful state. Yeah. And when they're not in that state, they can actually repair the muscle developed, you know, more volume of lean muscle mass, which is more metabolically active. Right. So I, I, I'm finding that now more a lot. And I think the literature is finally going, Oh, actually rest days are really beneficial. And I, and I relate that to when I was in high school, my coach said, every day you take off, you lose five days of work that you've put in. Oh. And that was in my head for like my whole life. And I finally had to be like, that is just absolutely not true. Um, so if anyone else was an athlete and had that said to them, that is wrong. <laughs> yeah. And, oh. and I think that's really where some of the struggle really is ingrained is that we have family members, we have coaches, we had friendships or relationships that really traumatized us from mm. experiences related to exercise and nutrition. And I'm not going to say that just magically goes away because we want to like start taking care of ourselves. Yeah. That's, but the things we can do are start to, you know, minimize those thoughts over time by doing positive things for our body. And that just takes time. And I love that this is like a really great initial almost like session, if you will, for people who are wanting to take some yeah. of those positive steps. Um, whether it's, you know, very intentional or if it's very intuitive, this kind of provides that gentle approach to nutrition and exercise that we don't always hear or appreciate as much. So I yeah. do, I do value that a lot. And, and I think if someone listening is like, well, I need to find a dietitian. I love all dietitians, but I think, you know, having, you know, a dietitian like Kylie, who has experience from the mindfulness functional movement in the yoga practice and with the personal training certifications, you know, she has that background to be, to be able to, you know, accept clients at all spectrums of the movement and provide those individual goals and assessments wherever you're at. So if you are looking for that kind of help, Kylie's your best bet, honestly. Oh, don't even make my heart cry like that. <laughs> That's so precious. And I think that the more that there's health professionals who show up on social media, like Keelan, like myself, I'll link Keelan as per usual in the bio of this podcast episode, the more that there's people who share truth and balance and research and give authentic health advice, the more we can normalize a really positive health experience physically, mentally, internally. And that just makes a better and more supportive health community. Absolutely. You said it best. Thank you so much for being on here today and ranting slash talking <laughs> slash diving into the really the nitty gritties of what it looks like to enjoy practical and gentle movement and nutrition. Oh, and I, I really love this conversation it feels good to have the conversation and get what's always going on in my head all the time. <laughs> yeah. Like spit it out from our brains. I, I yeah. too. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me on. I'm excited. You guys were here to listen to us chat. And as usual, you'll see another episode come out in a couple of weeks. All right. And that's the gist. So we'll talk to you soon. Bye now.